Hello, and welcome to Season 3 of Plants We Eat. I'm Jeff Gilman. And I'm Cindy Proctor. And we're going to be talking to you about all of the crazy different plants we eat, one plant at a time. You realize that we're never going to get through them, right? I know. But some of them will be domesticated. Some of them will be uh, exotic. And today <laughs> we're talking about, I think everybody knows what a papaya is, or I like pawpaw. <laughs> well, yeah, you can call them papaya. You can call them papaya. This is a food from? Mexico. Yes. Central America. Yep. Area. Yep. Yep. And it's very succulent type fruit is how it was described. I would describe it more like a melon. Okay. Well, let me let me take a taste here. All right. All right. It's not very ripe. No, it's not as ripe. But it's still pleasant. It's not, it's, 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 the taste isn't, it's, it's just bland. It is bland. Not as sweet as I thought it would be. Um, and that would help with more ripeness, certainly. It is, um, I think the best description I, I have is, is Certainly melon texture and plain. Yes, melon texture and plain. Well, the size of it is alarming. It's the size of a gourd. And when you see it growing on trees, it grows similar. And I say similar very weakly here, like a coconut would to a palm tree, but it's like full. There's tons of these fruits on this tree that, by the way, can start giving you fruit from seed the first year. Wow. That's, that's nuts. That's incredible. We actually have one of these in the greenhouse growing right now. It is definitely a, a small tree. We actually cut it back every year, or not every year, but probably every two years. And when we cut it back, it starts producing again almost right away. Well, that, that doesn't surprise me, but it I love this just for its foliage, you know, because here in the United States, it might be clunky to get the fruit because we don't have ideal conditions unless you're in Florida. It is a pretty tree. It, it's a beautiful tree. It's palm, of course, looking, but but in the same time, its fronds look like a houseplant. Mm -hmm. And uh, you see this fruit. Fruit clustered on it, of course, in, in tropical areas. But in the greenhouse, does it ever produce fruit? Oh, yeah. It does? We, yes, we do. Although not fruit the size of this. So we got this fruit at, uh, if you're in the Charlotte area, we got it at Super G. And this particular fruit, uh, you know, when I paid for it, based on the price of the fruit, and I know the per pound price, it's about six pounds. I mean, you look at it, it's, it's big. It, it looks like about the size of a football. Um, yeah, I was just going to say yeah. that, like a, like a, Almost a, a skinny exactly. football. <laughs> yeah, a skinny football, not as tapered. The ones we get in the greenhouse are not that size, but they look basically the same. Now, inside, they have these, uh, these really cool caper-looking seeds. Yeah, and you know what? Those are completely edible. And in fact, you can dry them out and use them as a pepper substitute, or you can use them with pepper. And I tell you what, let's, let's give these a shot, because why not? They're like fish eggs. <laughs> they are. Okay, i got to tell you. That does nothing for me one way or the no, other. No, me neither. But anyway, if you're a lazy fruit eater like me, yeah. it's perfect. <laughs> there's, right. There's no need to clean these seeds out. Why would you bother cleaning right. these seeds out? They don't help or hurt anything. Um, oh, okay. They're kind of stuck in my teeth right now. <laughs> but but that's okay. <laughs> now, in your greenhouse, I mean, any fast-growing plant needs ample fertilizer. Do you fertilize it at all? Yeah, we do. Okay. Yeah, we do. So it would need plenty of nitrogen, no heavy soils, lots of humidity, lots of mm -hmm. moisture, like any tropical would. But yes, I. Uh, it is used in salads, pies. It would be good in a pie. It would. Sherbert. Sweet juice. This would be better. Yeah, you're right. Um, but it, it's a beautiful plant. Now, let's talk about how short-lived it is. <laughs> it's relatively. Yeah. yeah. And, mo and when you start uh, reading about any plant that grows so fast and produces fruit so quickly, most likely it's short-lived and needs lots of fertilizing to look its best. It is mostly. One, one thing that I found really interesting about this plant is that 
So frequently with plants that we grow for food, we grow a particular cultivar, particular type. We grow a Honeycrisp app. Red delicious. In this, right, right, exactly. In this situation, this plant, even though it's referred to by cultivars, it typically comes from seed. So typically papaya is grown from seed, although it is not hard to grow from grafting or cuttings or, or whatever. But you, you would, that's, that's kind of an overkill you know, well, when it's so easy from seed. It, yes. Pot, potentially. Especially since it produces plants so quickly or flowering plants so quickly from seed. And by the way, flowers are a mess on this. I need to kind of uh, nerd out a little bit here. Go ahead. I think, and I don't know, we've never talked about this. These flowers are so little and how they can produce this football-sized fruit is amazing to me. I nerd out on that a little bit on how fruit can develop to, to what it ultimately turns out to be from these itty-bitty flowers in this case. But, well, uh, the flowers aren't that itty-bitty. They're, they're really not. Well, compared to the size of this fruit. Compared to the size of the fruit, they're itty-bitty. I'll give you that. But the flowers really aren't that tiny. I mean, I look at chocolate and the coca tree, and those are really small flowers that grow into you're right, a fruit you're right. that's almost as big. We're both right. It's remarkable. But anyway, <laughs> one of the interesting things about this plant is that you can have a male plant, you can have a female plant, you can have perfect flowered. I mean, all kinds of different choices for, for flowers. These things are just all over the map. And it was really weird to see because usually a plant is either dioecious, in other words, separate male and female, or they're perfect, or they're monoecious, which is you have male and female flowers separate but on the same tree. In this case, it is just all over the board, all over the board. Papaya has a whole lot of interesting things going on uh, besides that. And one of the most interesting things about it is its possession of something called papain. Aha. Uh -huh. I wonder if you were going to talk about that. I had to talk about papain. Is it from unripe fruit? There's more of it in uh, unripe fruit, but it's also in the leaves. It's in the roots. It's in the latex. And what it does is actually an enzyme that helps to break down uh, meat. So... You can actually use papaya to tenderize your meat. It's actually very effective at, th at that if you leave a papaya with meat for a certain period of time. But this particular product has been actually used for a variety of different things and even treating um, some illnesses. Specifically, it has been used to treat something called steakhouse syndrome. Now, what is steakhouse syndrome? Steakhouse syndrome is something that you get when you get a piece of meat lodged in place in your esophagus. So to get rid of that, what they can actually do is give you papaya, or specifically, you could just use the enzyme, and that will break down the, the meat. I mean, it's actually almost like those enzymes that you dump down into your sink to break down the hair clots. It's really basically the same thing. But here's the thing. What happens if you had something that broke down the hair clots in your sink that also dissolved your pipes? Oh, will it do that too? So... Esophageal perforation following meat impact, impaction and papain ingestion. A patient, and I'm quoting here from James W. Hollingsinger's paper, and he had some co-authors too, Robert Fusion and Will Seeley. A patient had extensive destruction of the esophageal wall from the use of papain to soften and dislodge impacted meat from her esophagus. Basically what happened is that a woman um, tried using this enzyme to break down meat in her esophagus. She had steakhouse syndrome. Unfortunately, she had some kind of damage already in her esophagus. So the papain actually... Prior to this incident? 
Right. Okay. Or caused to some extent by it. Okay. It all comes out to the same thing. What happened is that the enzyme ended up attacking the already existing damage in her esophagus and causing uh, extensive damage, and it was quite a mess. If you're going to use this enzyme in steakhouse syndrome, you better be sure that your patient doesn't have any kind of a pre-existing condition. Now, that's just from the enzyme of an unripe fruit. That's not because they... You, you, of eating. No, that's not because they're specifically using the enzyme to try and break up this uh, this this piece of meat. I can imagine cutting an unripe fruit would be challenging. I think it I think it would be. Yes. It'd be just a tough th- but the thing is you can use uh, the leaves. I mean, okay. the leaves actually work. Um the leaves actually can be made into a juice which they're theorizing can be medicinal. There is evidence that it could be useful in in um, treating dengue fever and could even increase platelet count in blood. And there are studies that support those uh, those uses, which isn't to say that it's out there in mainstream, but you know this stuff this stuff could help with those uh, with those issues. Now, also because of the pain, there are a number of Chinese patents, really weird patents, about weight loss. This stuff is actually supposed to help weight loss. My favorite one was pawpaw, and by pawpaw, I mean papaya. Pawpaw weight-reducing ice cream. So you have an ice cream, which is actually supposed to help you reduce weight because it includes a high concentration of this enzyme. <laughs> now, let's talk about what I think. Oh, one other patent from 1958. Yes, you can use the leaves as a tobacco substitute. I would be scared. I would be scared, too. Yeah, of but, that. But, you know, it's out there. It's out there. <laughs> now, um, it also has a pest that is pretty uh, significant it's, in it's production. Huge. It's huge. A papaya. And, and um, it, what it means is that when you eat a papaya, chances of it being— Here you go. Yeah, chances of it being non-GMO are— Slim, very, very slim. Yeah, to none. It's it's almost a given, not a given, but almost a given that the papaya that you're eating has been genetically modified. And in this case, if it wasn't, we we wouldn't have papayas to eat no. because of this pest. And it's usually I think of pests, I think of some kind of insect that traveled the world, but this is a virus. Yep, the papaya ring spot virus. And this virus uh, has been around for a long time. But uh, in the uh, the 1900s, mid-1900s, progressing towards the late 1900s, it became a serious, serious problem in papaya to the point that it threatened uh, all papaya production, particularly in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Almost wiped out a plantation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, let me tell you a little bit of the history here because it's really fascinating. What they... Use, I shouldn't say what they used to do used to treat it because this was never used extensively for treatment. But one way that you could treat was something called cross-protection. If you want to look this up, it's fascinating. Cross-protection in plants is a lot like uh, inoculation in humans. Have you ever heard the story about cowpox um, and how if you got cowpox, this is in the in the UK, if you got cowpox, you were much, much less likely to get smallpox. Mm-hmm. And of course, cowpox was a yucky disease, but it wasn't deadly, mm-hmm. whereas smallpox was deadly. So you want to get cowpox. You don't want smallpox. If you get cowpox, you're inoculated. Well, it's the same thing with uh, papaya ring spot virus. There are other viruses that you could get 
which would uh, inoculate the plant to some degree against other diseases. And by the way, this gets really complicated. I started reading about this. They do not know exactly how it works. It does not work the same as inoculation in humans. So, you know, don't, uh, they, they're not sure exactly how it works, but it's certainly not working um, with a with a, an immune system which is similar to a human's. The immune system in a plant is much, much different. But if a plant is inoculated with another type of virus, then it could resist the papaya ring spot virus. This was known for a long time, and it wasn't used a lot for protection, but it was used a little bit, and it showed reasonably good results. So... Some scientists saw this and they said to themselves, well, what if, what if we were to um, take this virus and we were to have um, the papaya produce the protein coat for this virus inside of the, uh, of the plant? And so that's what they did. And so the papaya is actually genetically modified to produce a part of the virus. And because it produces that part of the virus, it inoculates the papaya to that virus. If it didn't, we simply wouldn't have papaya today. So, you know, what's better, GMO papaya or no papaya? For some people, that's a, that's a very difficult question. Understandably, there's a lot of controversy about GMOs and if, why, when, where uh, we should. And uh, I understand it's, it's, uh, it's a little creepy. It is a little creepy, and it deserves a lot of discussion. In fact, you know, we're not, uh, we have a little bit more discussion on, on papaya and some other things to talk about this show. But, uh, you know, next, uh, ne our next show is going to be our 50th show. And for our 50th show, we've decided to talk about genetically modified organisms. And um, I can't wait. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. I look forward to discussing that with you. I've actually been warned against um, about about um, being either too pro or too anti because we don't want to, um, you know, have people leave the show. But honestly, well, that's not our goal here is to promote one way or the other, right? right. I just have no to, desire to promote. No, I, we just want people to understand. Sure. And so that's what we're that's what we're going for. What do you got there? What I have here, I have one of my new favorite books. I should say. Of the books that I've read over the past year or two, this is uh, without a doubt one of the one of the best, and it's called "The Food Explorer." Subtitle: The True Adventures of the Globetrotting Botanist Who Transformed What America Eats. The author is Daniel Stone, and it's about one of my absolute favorite guys, <laughs> David Fairchild. Um, David Fairchild was a was an explorer in the early 1900s who just brought a whole lot of different plants to the United States for us to for us to grow, first of all, um, but also for us to taste. And he's given a lot of credit for being the person who introduced um, many foreign foods to United States soil. And this is just an incredibly readable uh, history uh, about him. And look, David Fairchild was extremely prolific. He wrote a lot of wonderful books. I think his best was The World Was My Garden. The World Was My Garden is just a wonderful book that we have a, a copy of. It, um, I love to read from time to time. Listening to David Fairchild talk about wasabi just makes me so happy. <laughs> um, but uh, this book is just it's taken all the stuff that Fairchild wrote and put it into a very readable form that really anybody could read. You don't have to be a horticulturist to uh, or a botanist to appreciate this book. Being a food lover definitely helps. Um, I, I recommend it for all food lovers out there. So it's called The Food Explorer. 
and the true adventures of the globetrotting botanist who transformed what America eats by Daniel Stone. Wonderful book. Uh, Stone, by the way, is spelled S-T-O-N-E. Wonderful book. Rush out and get it. You will, you will thoroughly enjoy it. It's one of those books that I wake up early on Saturday morning and I read three or four chapters and I've been enjoying it for actually about three weeks now. I'm actually about to finish it. So the next time we're going to discuss GMOs. I can't wait. It's going to be fun. Please don't hate us after that show. Yes, please don't. It's Jeff's fault. (laughs) And hey, we would love to hear from you if you'd like topics for, if you'd like to offer us some topics for any other show, you can reach us at uh, jgilman at uncc.edu. That's J-G-I-L-L-M-A-N at uncc.edu. We'd absolutely love to hear about you. We love recommendations. We love comments. Uh, we love ideas. Please send us all of the above. Please do. Plants We Eat has been a production of the University of North Carolina at Charlotte's Botanical Gardens. College of Liberal Arts and Sciences at UNC Charlotte, and the Isle Group. Thanks, and we look forward to talking with you soon.